Amen. Thank you, Christy and Jenny, for help leading. Thank you for just worshiping with us, praying with us this morning. Um, if you have a Bible and you want to go to the book of 1 Timothy, we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy together today. We're in a series called Trust the Story, and uh, this is part 31, and been looking at um, the story that God gives us in his word. Uh, the Bible is kind of a strange book because it's written over a span of 1,600 years, and it's written by about 40 different people, and yet it contains God's revelation of who he is and what his plan has always been for our world and for mankind. And sometimes when we dig into it in one specific area, if we don't have a concept of the whole story that he's telling, we, we tend to misunderstand the one area that we're trying to dig into. And so this series um, has been on my heart for a while uh, to kind of take a look at the, the entire uh, Bible and try to look at that whole story from a bird's eye view. Uh, our kids have actually been doing this for, I think, about two years um, the curriculum that we use for all of our Kidmen is called the Big God Story. And so every year it just takes them through the Big God Story, but this timeline is actually from the Big God Story. Okay, so when you check in your kids at our check-in station, you'll notice this timeline's on the wall. It's called the Big God Story. And so that's what we're trying to get our kids to understand is that there's a story God has always been telling. And we today are still a part of that story. And this book, the Bible, has been given to us to help us know that we're still in the story and how God works through our lives and through our day to accomplish what he started even before the foundation of the world. So it's a difficult series because it's long. It's a difficult series because in days like this, I'm going to take 1 Timothy and we're going to talk about the entire book of 1 Timothy in a short span of time that we have together. And uh, that's hard to do, especially for someone like me who loves the scripture. And there are no parts of it that I think are like um, just frivolous and, and um, well, you know, unimportant. So let's just skip over that one. Um, I want to read every verse and talk about it, so it's kind of hard. And so I know at times you sit there and you feel like uh, Pastor Tom needs to maybe turn down the, the water pressure because it's like, um, so uh, I try to turn it down, and, and trust me, I have turned it down. <laughs> and so if you still feel like that, imagine if I didn't. But uh, the book that we've been using is called The Untold Story by Frank Viola. And what it does is it helps us understand what's happening behind the scenes. Because we, we look at a passage of scripture and then the next passage of scripture we think happened maybe like the next day or the next hour. And we don't understand there's a whole span of time that's taking place. And it helps us put that into context. And I've put some, some things on Slack some videos and some extra things to help us kind of unpack them. One of the things I put on this week is, again, a video by The Bible Project. If you're not familiar with The Bible Project, what they do is they put together these short videos that help us to understand, like, the overview of an entire book of the Bible. I don't agree with everything they say, 
Um, I don't expect you to agree with everything I say. I don't know that any person on this planet agrees with everything someone says. If you're married, do you and your spouse agree on everything? No, you don't. And, uh, and that's actually by design of God. Uh, we might get to that today. We might not. But um, who knows? Because I always put more notes than we're going to get to. And then we just see um, how much I see out of the way and how much the Holy Spirit moves things out of the way. So, but this last week we read pages 157 through 161 in the book of 1 Timothy. And next week, pages 161, 162 in the book of Hebrews. And uh, really pray for me this week because the idea of preaching on the book of Hebrews in one week uh, is actually uh, really hard because it's a crazy profound book. But as I told you last week, my favorite letter um, that Paul wrote was the book of Philippians. And so that was his last letter to a church. Today, we're going to look at 1 Timothy, and I've called it Entering the Conversation. Entering the Conversation. And the reason I called it that, um, this is Paul's first letter that we're looking at that's written, well, we looked at Philemon already, written to a person. But these letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, are written to individuals. They're not written to a church like the book of Philippians, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the book of Corinthians and Romans. They were written to churches. This is written to Timothy. And so I don't know if you've ever um, experienced this, where you walk into a conversation that's already happening, and you begin to enter into the conversation and both people in the conversation or all the people in the conversation look at you, they stop talking and they look at you and they're like, that's not what we're talking about. Does that ever happen to you? Happens to me all the time. Because we've walked into a conversation that's been happening and then we're like, oh, I know what this conversation's about. And so we enter in and they're like, in our home, we have two, two phrases that we use. Uh, you may not like them. Maybe they'll sound mean to you. But we say, hey, this is a conversation between A and B. So see your way out of it. <laughs> or, hey, this is a conversation between taco and burrito, not Joe's. <laughs> Get it? So, and, uh, and so because sometimes we don't need to enter that conversation. Okay, if somebody's having a conversation, kids love this, right, parents? When you're correcting one of your children, one of your other children will come along and they want to help. And that's a great time to use that phrase. Nah, we do not need you in this conversation. You're not necessary. Now, the conversation that Paul has with Timothy, we need to enter that conversation. So when we enter it, we need to make sure we understand the conversation. And that's what Trust the Story is all about. And that's what I want to help us do today because I think of all of the books of the Bible, 1 Timothy is where the American church gets it wrong the most. Can't say I'm right. You're going to get to decide later if I'm right or wrong um, as you pray into it and as you look into it. But I think sometimes we, again, try to pull things out of you know, the, we try to drill in on a, a truth or a book of the Bible, and we divorce it from the whole story. And when we do that, we misapply it, we misunderstand it. And sometimes we just flat out forget, Paul was not writing to Tom Brantner in America in the year 2020 when he wrote this letter. 
He was writing to Timothy thousands of years ago in a different culture, in a different context, to a kid with a different personality than I have. And so as much as I, I love the idea that we want to personalize the Word of God and we want to, you know, put your name in it and, and do that, um, nothing wrong with it. Please do it. But that's not the way that this is supposed to be done. This is not God's design from the beginning. In fact, back in the day, People didn't have their own Bibles. They didn't have little copies of the Torah at home. The only way they studied the Bible was together in community. And if you actually read Genesis through Deuteronomy, you understand God is all about community. And I know that our American culture is all about individualism and the individual and choosing your own way and your path. And I'm all for it. Um, that's just not God's way. And that's how we get ourselves into trouble when we divorce ourselves from community and we don't study the word together. So the, the, the essence of 1 Timothy, um, I really want to start with, uh, let's, the, yeah, I'm going to skip down to this idea. Of, I want to explain who Timothy is first. Um, Timothy is a young kid from, from Lystra, just a city that Paul visited, and he's a disciple of Paul. But Timothy is timid. Okay, we're going to talk a lot more about Timothy when we get into 2 Timothy because that's way more of a personal letter. This still has instruction for the church. Um, but Timothy, Timothy is not only um, timid, but I think he's a wounded young man. I think he, that Paul sees him, and he's an unlikely disciple. He is not someone that if you are a Jewish rabbi, that you, I mean, your Jewish rabbis pick the cream of the crop. So when Jesus picked his 12 disciples as a Jewish rabbi, uh, he picked the people that the other rabbis didn't pick, okay? Because the fact that they were out working other jobs shows they weren't picked by the other rabbis. So Jesus picks the unlikely ones, and that's what, who Jesus was all about. He was all about bringing in the people that were being pushed out. Okay, so he's all about bringing people in. And that's, I think, what Paul does. We know that Timothy had a great relationship with his grandmother and his mother who taught him the scriptures. They taught him the word of God. I think that's very telling. <clears throat> Timothy, it doesn't seem, learns the scriptures in the synagogue. It doesn't seem like he learns the scriptures from uh, a man. He learns them, uh, a, a rabbi, he learns them from his mom and his grandmother. There's a reason, I think, for that, because Timothy's mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us in this American culture because people have kids, different nationalities, different races, no big deal. Um, but for a Jew, if you are not full Jew, you're a mumser. And mumser just means you're illegitimate, meaning you're not fully Jewish, so you don't get to be circumcised and you're not a part of the community. Now, we love you, and we're going to bless you, and we know that God's favor somehow through Abraham is going to be on all people. We're not, I mean, they're not being mean. They're just saying, hey, God has a covenant with Israel. You're not fully Israel, so you can't come in here. So Deuteronomy chapter 23 tells us that you can't admit into the assembly these people. So Timothy wasn't circumcised. So when we look at like Timothy and Titus, Paul takes them both on as disciples and he circumcises Timothy, but he doesn't circumcise Titus. Isn't that odd? Why is that? Because one, circumcision uh, is no longer matters, Paul says. And so Titus is a Greek and Titus is fully Gentile. He doesn't need to be circumcised. But Timothy, I think in Timothy's heart, he's Jewish. 
He is a part of these people. And he, I think as a young boy, wanted to be in there. And Paul circumcises him and says, Timothy, you're in. And I'm like, I can't prove it. Can't show you from the, here's the scripture. But from what I understand of the scripture and how this works out, Paul picks Timothy. And, and now you understand why Timothy is a little timid. Okay, because here's this kid that's always been on the outside. Now he gets a place at the table. And I want to be bold, but I'm a little afraid. And I love this kid. And I love that Paul champions him. And so if that's you, if you're someone who's like, I've just never felt like I've had a place, uh, you're going to love 2 Timothy when we get there. But uh, you're going to love some things today too. So 1 Timothy, I think, we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, I think, is the crux of this because what's happening is Paul is giving Timothy, he's sending Timothy to Ephesus because there's a lot of problems in Ephesus, and Timothy needs to address them. And what I think Paul is writing to Timothy to give him is basically this holistic vision of the church. We see it right here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, although I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing to you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. What I think Paul unpacks in this entire letter to this young boy is Timothy. Watch the doctrine of the church and watch the way people live. Okay, it's all about how we believe the scripture and what we do with what we believe because our belief has to correspond into our actions and it doesn't always. And so Paul says, your public lives in the community should be full of integrity, full of character. You should have a good reputation in the community. You should be known for good works. You should be known for serving the poor, taking care of widows. If you're rich, you should be overflowing with generosity. You shouldn't be storing up for yourself. Now, every person in this room, according statistically to our world, would, would fall into this category of rich. I mean, I know that we're not all rich, but the definition of rich in our world today is you have a place to sleep and you have meals to eat today. That makes you rich in our world. So if you've got that, we're rich. And now we are excessively rich in our culture. We don't recognize it. We don't see it. Uh, I think a lot of it stems from just the, our entitlement in America. But we are rich and we need to make sure that we're rich in generosity. And we probably won't have time to get to some of those verses. So read them on your own in the book of First Timothy. But Paul doesn't just address Timothy and say, hey, Timothy, make sure the church is doing this. Look at how he addresses it to Timothy himself in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Okay, here's, in other words, Timothy, don't let the words people say set your identity. Get your identity from the, the Lord. Get your identity from what I have told you, from what we're going to see the elders have told you when they laid their hands on you. Don't let other people's opinion of you determine how you're going to live. This is not a license for Timothy to be a jerk, okay? When Paul says, don't let people look down on you because you're young. So the next person comes up to him and says, Timothy, you just don't understand because you're so young. That's not, Timothy doesn't get to say, 
You be quiet. Thus saith the Lord and the Apostle Paul that you cannot look down on me because I'm young. No, that, that's totally not what Paul's saying. You can tell because he says this. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. Okay, don't let that shape your heart. Live out of the identity that you have in Christ. In your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your, in your purity. Do the right thing no matter what anyone says. Okay, be that person. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hand on you. So when Timothy got commissioned to be an elder in the church, the, the elders, the other elders laid their hands on him and through some prophetic word gave him an understanding of who he is, the giftings that he has. And Paul says, don't neglect it. I don't know if, um, for those of you that, that are, have been in the church a long time, um, I read a book at one time by John Bevere called Breaking Intimidation. And what it talks about is knowing our identity, knowing who the Father has called us to be and knowing how to walk in it. And if you don't understand who you are, if you don't understand the calling that God has placed on your life, um, you will not be able to walk in it because other people will question it, be mean to you, do things, and you'll want to respond and react and defend yourself. And that's not the way to go. Paul doesn't even tell Timothy to do that. He says, hey, it's, it's the gift that's in you. You don't have to prove it to anybody. Just don't neglect it. Stir it up. Live it out. Be diligent in this. Give yourself to it so that everyone may see your progress. So in other words, when people say, hey, you don't have that gift, don't say, yes, I do, because so-and-so prophetically declared I have it. He says, no, just live it out. Live it out. Don't believe the lie. Don't listen to the voice of the accuser. Live this out. And then he says this, watch. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul says something similar to this in 1 Corinthians 9. I didn't put it on the screen. But he's like, run in such a way as to get the prize. And Paul's like, I preach this message, but I also beat my body and I make it my slave. I discipline myself because I know that after preaching to others, I could be disqualified. In other words, I could preach a message, but not actually live it. And so what he's saying is you, could, you can be like, oh, yeah, I know that message, pastor. Amen, pastor. But it doesn't show up in our life. We're to watch our orthodoxy, our theology, but we're also supposed to watch our orthopraxy, our practice, and make sure we're living out what we claim to believe. And that's what the essence of Paul is trying to teach to Timothy to pass on to this church. One last thing about Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at what Paul says to him. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to faith. In other words, Timothy, these prophecies were given to you to remind you of who you are. Here's the thing. Our behavior as believers doesn't always line up with who we are. Doesn't. Um, and, man. And we, as other believers, we sometimes want to define people by their behavior. So someone told a lie. You're a liar. No. 
you're a son who told a lie. And there's a huge way to deal with this. When you, when you train your kids, if you label them by their behavior, call out who they are. Absolutely confront the behavior. There should be, lying is a sin. Get away from it. Don't do it. But you're not a liar. You're a son who told a lie. There's a huge difference. So when you come in the kingdom, you've got to understand this is who you are. This is your identity. And you have got to live from that place. It is not your job to convince everyone else of your identity. It's your job to know it, to live from it. And if you don't, if we don't do this, we'll never receive correction from others. Because no matter how they try to correct us, we're always going to hear it as, oh, yeah, that's who I am. No, 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 no. That's not who you are. God says, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you, but I'm going to discipline you and correct you because I don't want you to act like that. Now, I've already done all the work for you. Uh, my salvation depends on Christ from start to finish, not on my performance. And that's what Paul's trying to convince Timothy of. Apparently, Timothy still struggles with this, okay? And Paul's like, don't live there, Timothy, you, because something important is about to, to come. Okay, now we're going to look at the instructions that Paul gives Timothy for the church at large because those are just the instructions that Paul keeps reminding Timothy about himself, but he gives him, in chapters 2 and 3, he gives him some instructions, and then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he gives some instructions for the church. And let's start in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is the most important instruction I think Paul gives Timothy. Here it is. I urge then... First of all, I mean, how do you know that that's the most important one? Well, there you have it. That petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. All people. All people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Church, the most important thing we do as a believer and as a corporate body is pray. And so if it is lacking in our individual lives or lacking in our corporate life, everything else is going to be a mess every single time. Prayer is absolutely the most intimate thing we do with another person. And it's in prayer together that God brings our hearts together. In Bible college, they always warned us, don't do devotions together alone in a room somewhere. Because you will develop an intimacy with that person and it could lead to some things that you don't want to have happen. Literally, that's what they taught us. So don't say, well, like we got to be, you want to do devotions together, do it in a private or in a public place where everybody can see you and get intimately connected in public. Okay. Because that's important when you're not married. Okay. So this is how important prayer is. Prayer connects and unites our hearts and it changes us. It changes how we see the world. It changes how we see one another. That's why he says to offer prayers, petitions, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people, for kings and all who are in authority. In America, we like to pray those prayers for people we agree with, not so much for people we don't agree with. 
And if we're not praying these prayers for every leader from our city leaders, our kids' coaches, our superintendent of schools, if we're not praying from a place of advocacy and honor for a leader, we're wrong. Because the Bible says, do it. Do it with thanksgiving. One of the things that I've been praying right now, because our nation, we, oh, dear God, we need help. Um, one of the things that as I was fasting and praying this week, and I just said, Lord, I have no idea how to pray right now. I just, I don't, I don't know what to pray. Please help me. So I prayed in the spirit until I figured out what I was supposed to pray. And two things came to me. I'm not saying this is the word of the Lord. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. He, he led me to pray that any corruption in our government or in our country would be exposed, any of it. I don't have to find it. I don't have to research it. I don't have to post it on Facebook. I don't, that's not my job. My job is to pray into it. Lord, let it come to the surface. Let it be exposed. Please let, let that happen. The second thing was humility. And I literally prayed for every leader in our land that I could think of by name and said, help them put on humility. And for the body of Christ, for leaders, for our church, for us, for as many of you as I could think of by name, let us put on humility right now as a garment because we are in a volatile moment. And even if, if corruption gets exposed, how if we as a church don't walk in humility, uh, we're, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Um, Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, if you see someone caught in sin, restore them gently, but watch yourself that you yourself do not fall into temptation. That's the humility that we need to put on because otherwise when other people fall into sin, we're going to point it out, but if we don't guard our hearts, we're going to actually be, we're going to open the door for a spiritual pride to come in. And we're going to kind of do what I just said. Remember Joshua? We're going to be like, the Lord is on our side. Well, no. We're on the Lord's side and we need to make sure. It was a lesson Joshua didn't learn well because remember they won at Jericho and then the very next battle they lost. Okay? They lost that humility that said, God, you're, it's easy for us to step into that. And so, this is in contrast to the false teachers that are in the church here in Ephesus because the false teachers are teaching in anger, in suspicion, in manipulation, in control. And so Timothy is supposed to lead the people to do it better. And look at it. He goes on to say in verse 8 through 10, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. That doesn't mean you can't have conversations and debates and, you know, try to come to conclusions together. But the anger and disputing, that's a different level. That's what the false teachers were doing. He says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to pray. I also want women to dress modestly and decently, propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess worship to God. Now, this is important, so important. Um, in Ephesus, the, it's a very wealthy city, and um, women are highly valued and treasured, and even in inappropriate ways, we're going to talk about here in a second, um, because of the goddess of Artemis, who's in her temple is in, a, in Ephesus. So there's a, a false worship that's growing among these false teachers, and they're teaching things that are not true. 
And what they're teaching, Paul begins to allude to in 1 Timothy chapter 1. These people devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions. So sometimes people take these things and they're like, see, we, we don't need to study the word that deep. We just need to take it at face value. And we, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying if your study, not of the word, but if your study is leading you to envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions, you know, that's not God. Okay, so you need to take a step back and make sure you know what you're doing. And so we need to make sure that we take what's happening here in Ephesus because this chapter, I believe, has been misused in a dangerous way in the body of Christ because I know that he's put on here that women should dress a certain way and they shouldn't do. The, the women in Ephesus were dressing in a way to show their value because their value was in their wealth. So if I was wealthy, I would dress to show it. Okay, so that's an issue that Paul's addressing. It's also a problem because the false teaching that's happening here in Ephesus is, is Gnosticism. We've talked about Gnosticism before. The word Gnosticism just comes from the Greek word gnosis, okay? Gnosis just means knowledge. And so what's happening is there's a salvation that's being offered, but it's not through faith in Christ. It's through how much you know. So if you know enough, you're going to enter into this special relationship with Christ. And the false teachers that are teaching this, of course are the only ones that have this knowledge. So you need to overly rely on the, the teachers so that that's the, you, this is the only place you're gonna get the knowledge. You need to come to us for that knowledge. And they're teaching that the material world is evil. So Paul's gonna address it. He's gonna say, they're gonna tell you, don't, don't eat meat. Don't get married, because if you get married, you're just joining the flesh in a way that it's evil. The material world is all evil, and as a result of the material world being evil, Jesus didn't come in the flesh, because Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh, because flesh is evil. Yeah, and Paul's like, it's not evil to eat meat. It's not evil to get married. It's not a sin. These people are teaching you things and causing you to rely on stuff that is outside of what God is teaching. And also... Slipping into this is the idea they're going to the, the Torah, the beginning of the, the book of Genesis, and they're studying the genealogies, and they're, they're twisting the, the creation story, and this is what they've come up with. Eve was actually created first. And Eve is a mediator and a redeemer of mankind. That's what's happened. And Eve ate the fruit first, so she got special knowledge that Adam doesn't have. So the women of Ephesus, we need, we need them to teach us. They, women are giving us this extra knowledge. And that's what's being taught. And if you take that understanding, and now you read verse 11. If you go back, I want you to, I want, I want to go back here. Let me see if I find it right here. Yeah, yeah, okay. I want the women to dress modestly. I want the women to prof who profess God. Women, women. And then the very next verse, verse 11. A woman. So Paul has changed from plural to singular, should learn in quietness and full submission. 
I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, not Eve. He's not just like throwing this in because he's like, no, men are better than women. Adam was made first. He's actually coming against the false teaching that's saying Eve was created first. Eve wasn't created first. And the fact that Adam was created first doesn't make him superior to Eve, P.S. Adam was not the one who was deceived. And so it was the woman who was deceived. And so in the world now, we've said, well, women women are so easily deceived. And so women can't teach in the church because they were not created first and they are easily deceived. And yet, if you look at all of the cults, cults, that have been created throughout history, they weren't started by women. (laughs) They were actually started by men. So it's interesting that women are more easily deceived, but men start these ridiculous cults and they're easily deceived. So this is not what Paul is saying. And if you take it out of the, the, this, this context and you put it in the whole scripture, you're like, wait a minute. It doesn't make sense because women are teaching somewhere in the Bible. Women are in, a, in positions of authority in the church. And so it can't mean what we're drilling in to make it mean because it doesn't fit in the whole story. But if you understand what Paul is saying, then you understand that this is a context. And so we, we've drilled into this in the church world and we've hindered women from speaking. Okay, I don't think that's what Paul meant. And it's dangerous, and it's a dangerous part. Now, can I say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm right and that women should be allowed to teach? No, I, I can't. But I do not believe that this, in the, the context of the scripture, is what Paul's saying. And some people will say, oh, pastor, be careful. You're just getting into the feminist movement. The, you're just listening to this feminism stuff. I believe... All humans are created in the image of God. And imprinted in our hearts is the image of God. The image of God in humans is marred by sin. But I believe in all human beings is a thirst for, for justice, for righteousness, for fairness. You see it in children. Children say it all the time. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not right. They point it out. You don't have to be taught that. The problem is when we're marred by sin, we don't know how to handle that injustice or not fairness because we're selfish and we're marred. So when the church fails to to fight for the justice of someone who's being oppressed, we create a vacuum that I think other movements fill. And I think the feminism movement stepped into a vacuum created by the church. I think the church should have been fighting for women's right to vote in America before 1920. And we weren't, okay? So we need to step into these issues because they're not aligned with what is in the heart of God. And I, I, wanna, I wanna be careful because I don't wanna to dig into the weeds too much, but I believe the original design of God all the way back in the beginning was God created them male and female. In the image of God, he created them. And he took from Adam what we commonly refer to as just a bone, a rib. So God took a rib and he made woman and he brought her and she's his helper. Um, That word helper doesn't mean like helper, you know, lesser helper. It means helper, helper. In fact, the, the psalmist calls God his helper 
using the same word. So men, women are our helper the same way as God is our helper. No, they're not God, okay? But they're not lesser than us either. And the actual phrase is called the helper who opposes. Wow, that's a good word right there, the helper who opposes. And when you hear that, you're like, oh, that's bad. No, think of it as like pressure. So if you have a beam that the point, the only way that building is going to stay up is if that beam, if they put pressure, that's a good pressure. That's a good opposition right there because that pressure holds that joint in place and that's what keeps it strong. So if a woman taken out of a man, the essence, a part of our essence, if you will, was taken out, the only way we're going to get it is if we Ah, if we come into that place. And I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know if that means men are not the head of the home. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But I think we've made some mistakes, and I think we need to correct some things in the body of Christ, and I think we all need to walk with a level of humility and refuse to say rude statements about people who believe differently than us. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Let's move on, because there's other things. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about how to appoint leaders in the church. And he uses these words overseers and deacons. If you have a different translation, it might say elders and it might say deacons. But here's the odd thing. Timothy and Titus, when I went to Bible college, they were called the pastoral epistles. And the interesting thing is, is neither Timothy or Titus are pastors. They're not. That's not their role. And yet we call them the pastoral epistles because that's what we call everyone. We have developed a church culture in America where we hire people and we call them a pastor. Whether or not they are a pastor doesn't really matter because, well, they're like a pastor. Is there a difference? The scripture talks about elders, and elders are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're elders. Then they talk about deacons, and deacons are, the word deacon is servant, and the deacons' roles that we see in Scripture are to care for the widows and the orphans and people in need and some of the practical needs and making sure that the finances are distributed right and taking care of practical things. And they're not lesser than elders. In fact, there's strong qualifications for them. They're important. And so whether you're a deacon or an elder in the body of Christ doesn't matter. Every one of them is important. And the role of elders and deacons is to equip the body of believers to be built up to do ministry. And in America, here's what we've done. We have created a church culture where we hire people, call them pastors to do ministry so that we can be ministered to. What happens is all of their giftings can't be all five of those things. And as a result, pastors move from place to place and they just get burned out in a place because they're trying to be all things to all people and then they can't be all things to all people and they're not equipping people to actually do ministry and the only way you will ever be fulfilled in a church is if you are equipped to do ministry. If all you do is go to church to receive and take in, eventually you will become stagnant, you will get upset or offended at someone, and you will leave. That's what will happen. It's just what's going to happen. You need to be equipped to do ministry by elders in the church, not just by people who are paid, so that the work of the ministry can happen and the body of Christ can be built up. And again, I don't know how to fix it. I just know that it's broken. 
And I, I long, I love that in Restoration Church, we're like, oh, we see it broken, let's fix it. And we don't know how to fix it yet, but we're willing to step forward and try. And that's what we've been doing over the last several years. And this is what Paul is addressing here. He's like, you've got to get people. You've got to get elders. You've got to get deacons. You've got to get plural. You've got to get people in the church to help build everyone up and release people into ministry because it happens out there. Your job is not to invite people to church so they can hear me, so they can get saved. Your job is to go out there and to be a carrier of the image of God and to, to do ministry all week long. And then we come back here and we celebrate what's happened out there. That's our job. And I don't know what that looks like. And I just want to see it. Because here's what I think. I think revivals have never lasted in America because we get hung up on uh, they, anywhere in the world. They haven't lasted. The Bible says we need apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And I believe as, as revivals have happened, what's happened is something that's been missing in the body of Christ has come to the surface and we celebrated it and it sparked a revival. But what's happened is we haven't taken the rest of the, the Bible, the rest of it all, and put it together with the thing that got revived, and so it's not strong enough to, to last long. And I think a revival is coming where it's going to all start to get revived, and we're going to see the scripture, and we're going to put it together, and it's going to last, it, it's going to usher in the return of Jesus. That's what I think is going to happen. It's going to be awesome, and I want to be a part of it, but it's going to be hard and challenging because it's going to go against some of the stuff that we want or like, um, and so, yeah, yeah. Even the idea of apostles and prophets. who apostles and prophets. You know, we... Apostles and prof apostles were known for two things, supernatural ministry and teaching. Supernatural ministry and teaching. And I think when we bring both of those, the supernatural and the teaching together, it's going to build such a strong foundation with the prophets. You put those three things together um, and the lid's going to blow off of this. But a couple more scriptures, and I promise I won't take a lot of time to explain them. But Paul says about these um, elders, that's not the right one. Um, here's the right one. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. The scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that they may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and his elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. Do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands or appointing people to these positions. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. So in essence, he's saying, hey, this is how elders should be treated within the church. This is how elders should be corrected in the church. And it's plural, elders, deacons. We need them all. We need them in the church. So the book of 1 Timothy, keep it in its context. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Make sure when you read some of these things that Paul's having, Keep in mind, Peter, remember who the apostle Peter was? 
he, he grew up Jewish, which means at one point in his life, he would have memorized the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Anybody in here memorized Genesis through Deuteronomy? Memorized it? Memorized it. Anybody? Anybody? Not even, I'm not putting my hand up. I haven't memorized. Okay, Peter did. Peter would have been in synagogue every week. He would have heard the, the writings, the scriptures all of his life. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. Saw him do ministry, was on the Mount Transfiguration. Peter, 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 it's great. Um, made a mistake, got reinstated, um, got baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, was a leader in the church all these years. Peter says, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. So, if that Peter says, Paul wrote some things that were hard to understand, I think we're going to sometimes have a hard time with what Paul's saying. That's all I'm saying. So, we need to make sure that if I, if I see what's happening in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that I don't say to someone who believes differently, you're wrong, and woman, be quiet. Um, that's not what is happening in 1 Timothy chapter 2 or in all of Scripture. So let's, as a body, wrestle together with the Word of God and say, how should this change our lives? How should this change our lives? Because it's not just what's, what's not at stake or what's, it's not just about what our doctrine is or what our teaching is. I mean, I would love to sit in a room and just sit here lectures and listen to podcasts and study books. I just would do it all day long. Who's with me? <laughs> yeah, not many of you, and I know that, okay? But the point of all of that better be that our lives show it, okay? And just because I don't like it doesn't mean I can't study it. We need to study the word better than we have as believers. We even need to start memorizing it. We need to read chunks of it, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament too, so that we have a full understanding of what God is saying to our world right now. I hope that makes sense. And I love this church. I love that we're looking towards that. And I want to end with this, and I'm going to pray, because this is Paul's prayer for young Timothy, and I want it to be my prayer for everyone that's here today and everyone that's watching. And don't be hung up on the you man of God. If you're, I'm going to change, I'm going to change it here. But you, people of God, flee from all of this. He's talking about the worldly pursuits, riches, sexuality, all of it. Flee from all of it. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Restoration Church, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. And so, Father, 
I ask that you would help those words come to pass in every one of our lives. Father, I ask that you would help us to be people of the word, to grow in our knowledge of your word, to grow in our understanding of your word. God, to not isolate ourselves with the people that are just saying what we want to hear. God, we do not want to just hear what our itching ears want to hear. We want to be confronted with the truth of your word. And God, whatever denomination, whatever people group, whatever part of the body of Christ that you want that to come through, we want to hear it. God, we want to hear your word. We want to be students of your word. We want to watch our doctrine closely. But God, we want to watch our lives closely. We want to have good reputations in the community. We want our character to stand out. We want to be known for good works. We want to be known for taking care of the poor and the orphans and the widows in our community. God, we want those things. We want to be known for our generosity. God, we want the things that we're learning from your word to show up in our lives. Holy Spirit, show us where we've heard your word but failed to be obedient. Show us where it's producing uh, suspicions and dissensions and factions and show us where it needs to change, where it needs to produce good fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stay in community. God, to maintain the unity of the spirit that you are bringing to the body of Christ in this hour. God, help us to, to, to draw out of other believers. God, to speak life over them. God, not to hone in on every little splinter we see in someone's eye. God, may we deal with the logs that are, that are in our eyes so that we can see See clearly, God, to deal with any speck we might see in a friend's eye. God, help us to put on humility as a garment today. God, to walk in that level of humility that deals with our own lives. God, that, that makes sure we're inviting others into that circle. God, to help us to grow, to help us to see our blind spots, to help us to see the areas that we need to grow in. God, above all, I pray that you would help us to stay connected to you. God, to know our identity in you, to know who we are in you. God, to remind ourselves of the prophecies, the things that you've spoken over our lives. God, not to spend our time trying to defend ourselves or trying to make a name for ourselves, but God, just to walk in who you've called us to be so that our progress in what you've said we are becomes evident to all. God, we don't want our progress to just be out of our mouths. We want our progress to be seen by all. And so Holy Spirit, help us to receive the things that you're using in our lives to correct us, to teach us, to train us, to even rebuke us and help us to walk in this. God, I pray for the prophetic calling that you have for Restoration Church, the calling to bring people back into relationship with you. God, to bring restoration to relationships that have been broken. God, whether it's marriages that need to be restored. God, whether it's relationships between women in ministry or women in their roles in, in the church. God, we want to be a part of that restoration process. We want to be a part of the restoration of racial tensions that exist still in our society. God, we don't want to just go along with what's being said by image bearers that are marred by sin. God, we want to hear 
hear from you. We want to hear the justice that's in your heart. God, we want to seek the peace of our community in the way that you want to see it happen. God, we want to pray for denominations. God, we don't want to bring, bring division to the body of Christ, but we want to come together with brothers and sisters that maybe see your word differently. Not just, God, to put aside those differences, but to wrestle with those differences. God, we may be wrong in how we've interpreted your word. And if you are trying to use other denominations or other people groups, God, to speak to us, Holy Spirit, give us ears. Let us cloak ourselves in a humility in this hour, God, that we bring together the body of Christ across denominational lines, across gender lines, across racial lines. God, we want to see the body of Christ rise up in this hour and be who you've created us to be. We want to be your image bearers in Huron, South Dakota. We want to be your image bearers so that the world can see who you are and are drawn to you. God, we don't want to compromise truth in any way. But God, we do not want to have truth without love. Holy Spirit, make us full of grace and truth. God, I know you have a prophetic call on this church. And I pray empower and strengthen every member of this body. God, for the role that you have called them to have in this church. You had fitted this body together perfectly the way that you see fit. God, I pray for myself right now. God, as an overseer in this body, God, to see the giftings that you've placed in others, God, to know how to call them out. God, not to call out the mistakes that I see, not to call out the, 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 the specks that I see. God, I trust that you're at work in their lives and that you're gonna work those things out. God, show me how to draw out the giftings of the, every member of this body. God, I pray for every fellow elder in this body. God, I pray for those that are battling insecurity right now, battling timidity. God, I pray that today, they would hear your voice. God, that they would know the identity that they have in you. God, that they would not seek to try to, in anger, defend their position in the body of Christ, but God, that they would walk in it, that they would know that you've called them. God, that they would know that you've gifted them, that they would not let the weaknesses they see in their lives be a stumbling block to them anymore, but God, that they would walk in the position, that they would walk in the authority that they would walk in the identity that you have for them. And so God, I pray over this body today. God, I know for every single one of us, there's a level that you've called us to that we have yet to step into. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us courage for it. And Father, I pray, unite our hearts together with a love that only comes from you. God, I break off the lie on Restoration Church that says we have to agree on every issue to walk in unity. God, help us to know how to make harmony out of the things we disagree on. Help us to know how to make sounds that the world hears. <laughs> 
God, it's through that that they're going to know that you are the Son of God because they're going to see something. They're going to see people who disagree on issues being able to walk together in love and in power. And God, I know that you want us to step into it, but God, we admit we just don't know how yet. Help us. Help us to encourage others along the way. Holy Spirit, take this word. Put it deep in our hearts. And God, I pray for the things that, that, that I've shared today that are my opinion. God, let it fall off of the ears of everyone who's heard it. God, for things that I've shared that I don't even have the full revelation or understanding of. God, I believe there are people listening right now that have pieces <laughs> that I don't have. And so God, give them courage and boldness and grace to be able to speak those things and bring those things to the table so this body can grow and be built up in the way that's been in your heart since the foundation of the earth. So Holy Spirit, we're yours. We're yours as a church. Lead us, guide us, Direct us, help us, encourage us, strengthen us, teach us, correct us, rebuke us. Do it all. We're yours because we trust you. And we trust you're going to finish the work you started. So God, over this body, I pray one final time that you would bless them and keep them. That you would cause your face to shine on them. That you'd lift up your countenance upon them. That you'd give them peace. God, be gracious to them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you for being with us today. And uh, pray that God does those things in your lives this week and more. Um, we are going to have our, our hosts come.